All right, we are Martin and Paul. So how did you come to surrogacy? Well, uh, friends of ours had a baby uh, in September 2017 and uh, we'd been together for 10, 11 years by that point and had always been fairly clear that we didn't want kids. And, uh, and we were having brunch with, with our friends who had a fresh one-month-old baby uh, and something clicked in my in my head uh, it helped that it was a sleepy cute peaceful kind of a child and wasn't kicking up and then in the car ride home Paul was like you're very quiet you're very quiet and I was like no I'm fine and then we had the whole what's wrong nothing what's wrong nothing what's wrong nothing and then in the end I got quite upset out of nowhere I got quite upset and I said I think um, I think I want a baby but I'm scared to say it because I don't want you to say no again and to my complete surprise he said well let's look into it let's let's have a go let's see what we have to do so like all uh, good citizens we first thing we did was, was go to google and uh, what was it you typed into google like I think it was just um, gay parents Australia or something yeah and sort of found the story of Andy, Simon and Carla in, I think it was the Age newspaper. Mm. And because one of the guy's surnames was relatively unusual, I then did a Facebook search, found and messaged, and a week later we had a coffee. So it kind of moved quite quickly from there. Oh, wow. So you actually looked up and found two blokes in Melbourne who had a surrogate. And yes. we've actually, I've interviewed Carla on yes. the podcast. Yeah, so she was their traditional surrogate. And suddenly you're having coffee with these guys and hearing their story. That's amazing. That's yes. one way to find out. And their daughter at the time was, was a few months old. Um, and they were brilliant, weren't they? It was, it was we'd only just started thinking about it. And they gave us their whole history, their whole story. Um and it was so valuable because they, they said, really, there's two things you need to know about Egg Donation Australia and the Australian surrogacy community. And you go and you find them and you set up profiles. It's like dating. And they gave us all of that information. Um, and they probably saved us years mm. of effort and energy doing other other investigations, going abroad. Uh, and and they, were, <clears throat> they were super helpful. And we, and we did, so I went home, we found some photos that we thought made us look normal and <laughs> appealing, uh, and we've got a bunny, so we thought, well, we'll use, we'll use the bunny <laughs> as, a, as a means of attracting people to us. Uh, put up a profile, um, did an intro about us, and... That was in the November... 2017. Yeah. yeah. And then we found out about uh, the EDA have monthly catch-ups, and there was one a week after that. Uh, that Car- we then we messaged Carla. We we found out about her, and she said, "Oh, I run these meetup groups." So we went to um, the EDA meetup group uh, a week or so after we set up that profile, and we got talking to people, and then it kind of all started from there and it was only then a month after that that our egg donor reached out to us that's amazing so, so super from quick and we hadn't even got an no babies to now you've got an egg donor within a matter of months 
Can I go back a bit? When you mm. were talking about we decided we weren't going to have kids, was that a huge change for both of you to say, actually, maybe this is a thing we do want to do and now we're doing it? More for you, I think. I think for me, yeah. So I guess to help with a little bit of context with it is that my family upbringing was somewhat a little bit more broken. I guess Mark's parents are still together, still very traditional, and mine wasn't. And so I was always very hesitant around not... I've since learned this kind of standard thought process of not wanting to replicate that process for a child. Mm. And they're those, those experiences of uh, a relatively challenging upbringing um, and, and have a child go through that same thing again. So I was always quite... I was also very anti-getting married at one point. And we're married now as well. So I have a track record of softening <laughs> as, as years go on. But I think... It's I, worn you down. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think what set us up um, for for surrogacy, I guess a great foundation for it was the fact that you know we've been together for such a long time, and that you get to really understand how the other person thinks and feels, and be able to respond in the moment. Um, and I could just sense that when we, um, as, as Mark says, we we came away from that brunch, meeting that baby for the first time, and I just knew where he was going with it. And I, I, over a period of time up to that point, I'd also got to a bit in my head where okay, what happens next for us? Because we've been married a year or so at that point. Been in Australia for two and a half, three years. And we knew we were going to stay here. So what, what is, what's the future look like for us? How do we develop our relationship and our lives together um, even more fruitfully? Mm. Um, and so it felt like a, it was actually at that point it would be a, a more natural next step than it probably ever had been before. Mm. So I think that was, it was perfect place, perfect time kind of, scenario rather than it being a snap okay would, you know, we need to make this, this, this decision as to what to do but in terms of surrogacy itself I mean we had I knew what the word meant but I certainly didn't know what I know now um, and people ask you questions about it and you kind of feel like a little bit of an expert when you've been through it but it's um, yeah I think it was a it was a culmination of experience for us it got us to that point and I, I think we, we didn't ever really go into into this process in a very um, committed sort of um, uh, steadfast way where we had this particular goal and we had to do it and our lives would be over if we didn't have a child. It was It was a whole series of fortunate accidents, to be honest. We kept thinking, well, why don't we look into it? Oh, these guys have reached out to us. Why don't we go and have a coffee with them? Oh, they put us in touch with this lady. Why don't we go and talk to her? Oh, they've got a meetup group. Why don't we go along to it? Mm-hmm. And it just, it just evolved. It wasn't, we're going to have a child in, in, in two years. And that's actually all it took, two years. From when we first had the conversation to when our son was born was two years. And, uh, but it was, never, it was never really an intent. It was more research. Let's just see. Let's explore whether this is even possible. We'll make the decisions as we go along. And that's really been the approach we've taken to everything. It's all been without huge amounts of expectation. It's all been just, let's just see. Let's just see how this pans out. Let's just you know follow, follow the threads as they emerge and see where we go with it. Um, and Do you that- have any ideas of who the egg donor or the surrogate might be in terms of your future lives with no. them in your life? I, no, I'd I say there was a little bit. I think what we learned um, early on was around obviously the different types of surrogacy or the different ways in which we could have a child. And something that was incredibly important to us very early on was 
it not feeling like it's a transactional experience, which is why for us, heading to the US or wherever to pay for that experience um, didn't feel right for us. Mm. And that's not to say that it's wrong that other people do it because it's obviously right for different people. But for us, it was very much around the relationship that we were going to build with another human being was paramount to the experience. If a child came from it, that was even better. Mm. And so whoever we spoke with as part of the dating process, they had to share those those values um, in order for us to want to, to progress it further. So, you know, both our donor and our surrogate will continue to have as much of a part in Zach's life as they as they wish. Mm. Um, and that was very important that, that that was set out from the beginning. So tell me about building a relationship with the woman that became your egg donor. How did that start out? Um, so that was that was Gemma. So she lives in, in Tasmania and she reached out to us in January 2018. So we'd only been, we were what, four or five weeks into even looking at this. We'd only known about the group a fortnight. And she sent us a message um, saying like, hello, I'm Gemma. And then I got this message. I think I said to Paul, like, she's messaged me. What do I do? What do I do? And he was like, why don't you message back? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Because I've never really done internet dating. Uh, Paul and I precede internet dating. So I don't even know. How do I talk to a woman? Like, what, do I, what do I even do? And um, anyway, we, we messaged a bit. And she never kind of said she was an egg donor and she didn't really you know we, we, we kind of got the sense that she wanted to talk to us but we obviously didn't feel like we could ask um, so she, she lives in Hobart but she comes to Melbourne fairly often and she happened to be in town I think a week later or two weeks later uh, late January uh, 2018 and she said I'm going to be in town do you want to meet up for a coffee so we, we did we met her at the Intercontinental Hotel I remember this very very clearly with a boiling hot day and I remember getting ready to go out to meet her in the afternoon and opening the wardrobe and I said to Paul what does one wear when one is meeting the prospective genetic mother of your child (laughs) that we've never met before what's the appropriate dating attire Uh, and it was boiling so obviously I wore skinny jeans and a shirt and I was sweating like a pig all afternoon (laughs) Um, so we met her. We met her for coffee in the in the bar in that hotel, and she was there with her mum, <laughs> who came bounding down the stairs towards us. So the first person we met was her mum, who's like seventy odd, um, and uh, didn't let Gemma speak at all. Really, she was just chatting on and on and saying how excited she was to meet us and all this kind of thing. And Gemma was like, "Mom, shut up!" And it was it was funny. We knew straight away that she was. She was just great, and um, that's really anyone. interesting to have grandma basically yeah. visiting the the first person you meet because other donors probably don't take their mothers to meet their potential no, recipients. No, no, it's it's. Um, I think it's testimony to as well. Then that kind of the relationship with Gemma because she's very open book. Mm. Um, we're very open book, and I think. There, there was a something you can't necessarily put in words and describe when that click kind of happens, but you kind of know that it's that it's right. Um, and meeting her mum was actually a bit of a almost a selling point for us because clearly the family are right behind her. Mm. 
and she was super excited to meet us and Gemma had told, told her all about us and it was just lovely it was lovely that the family were all on board she donated several times uh, before uh, she's got four kids of her own and uh, and then through that process we went down to Hobart a few times met her kids she's got four kids and her husband um, and they're just wonderful all of them are just fantastic and uh, it was it all happened again just a series of accidents really it was all quite um, yeah just sort of we sort of fell into it and, and Gemma being quite experienced in it she said I know what I'm doing Here's what, and she sent us this email, I remember the, the email, and it was this enormous email saying, here's what happens, because we had no idea. <laughs> I've never paid any attention to female biology ever, and I didn't really know. I, we, we actually thought eggs looked like eggs, like, like little mini, mini eggs, you know, like little mini chicken eggs. Had no idea, um, you know, what an ovary looked like <laughs> or anything. Like, we've never needed to know this kind of stuff before. Uh, and to be fair, most women don't know either no, until they do no. IVF or have to think about conception. But, yes, yeah. and so Gemma said, "Here's how it's all going to work." And I've had the, I, I have injections at this point, and then I do this, and then I do this, and this, and here's when you need to be in town, and here's the donor coordinator at Taz IVF you need to speak to, and then this is the doctor we're going to use. Make sure you get him; he's brilliant. This and this and this, and that was perfect. Yep. for us because we had no idea mm. and she said let me know if I'm being too bossy and we were like you go for you it just, you yeah. just do what you do and we will follow and it was the easiest most straightforward thing and we feel quite guilty about saying that because we've met obviously over the last two years a whole lot of people that have had a whole lot of problems and had all manner of, of trauma and we feel a bit guilty that everything has worked so well for us but at the same time we've gone into all of this without expectation without pressure and I feel having had a lot of those conversations that's where a lot of problems come from where people are in a rush um, and there's an element of desperation or or, or, uh, or they don't maybe take the time and they don't always stop and think about that relationship which we we had with Gemma straight off um, so we did two rounds of, um, of IVF with her um, and it was actually the update in May of 2018 when we did our first uh, pickup and embryo creation in May 2018 that I put the post on the Australian surrogacy community saying we've now done this and it was from that that our surrogate reached out to us who uh, also doesn't live anywhere near us so <laughs> we had this thing that uh, it was all going to be nicely done in Melbourne and we were going to be neighbours and it was all going to be and then we get a message from, well, CJ, as we knew her at the time. And she had, it was on that, what is it, what's it? Uh, what's the Tapper app? Talk. Tapper Talk. It was on the Tapper Talk app, which um, we don't use anymore. I don't think anyone uses it anymore. It was like this. I think it's just a version, it's just a, way, it's a portal for being able to access the surrogacy community. Yes. Rather than it actually being the forum itself. It's just a, yes, a, it, a it, platform for it. Yes. But so she'd she'd she like signed up to it in order to send us a message, I think. Um but so she had no profile picture, no information on there. It just said, Hello or I'm so, something like Hello, I'm CJ, I'm socially awkward. Um how are you? <laughs> And I was on my way to meet him in the pub, wasn't it? So, uh, Gardner. 
and and we just sort of stared at this message for a while and we're like, I don't even know what to what to make of this. <laughs> Do you just <laughs> press delete and move really? on? Like, <laughs> I mean if that had been like a dating site, if that was Tinder, we'd be like, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know what you look like. Swipe whichever way is now. Swipe, swipe, swipe no. Swipe no. <laughs> so Crystal's going to be listening to this. Yes. Do you want to um, make her feel better that, about sending that message? Oh, no, we've talked about it. I'll make her feel worse first and say that actually the original conversation was Mark said, there is no way I'm having a surrogacy relationship with someone outside of the state. Oh. I said, oh, okay, why don't we just have a conversation first and see see where it goes? Because... We made the commitment that it would be about relationship first, the geography second. Yeah. So we actually set up um, a Skype or FaceTime or whatever. Three hours that first call was. Oh, wow. yeah. And just talking about everything, then the elephant in the room, as you actually would. And it's, it was just a really great conversation to just connect and get to know who this person was first and foremost. Um, and it just built and built and built. Um, and it never really became a worry around, you know, is she going to ask us to what do we ask her? It just it naturally became a... It turned into her saying, I'd really love to do to do it for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just... I can't really explain how easy she made the whole thing from start to finish. Mm. Yeah. From, it is, I, yeah, I mean, you hear... And th- through the podcasts and through other conversations, there were some really challenging experiences. And I think the most diff- one difficult experience that we ever had with Crystal was, was not really understanding why she might react in a certain way to something when the week before it was a different reaction. And even then it was really nothing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the whole, the whole thing about distance just after that first call just went away. We didn't even talk about it after that point because we realized at that point that that relationship would overcome anything about distance like the distance just it was it was an extra piece of logistics but there's a shed load of logistics anyway so what's a bit more um the relationship itself was what was important the fact that that call lasted for three hours and we had to go to bed we were like i'm sorry it's like 11 at night we need to go to bed um it was the only way it it finished because we just learn everything and it was easy it felt like we'd known her forever and it was it was just incredible and again we had no expectations there was no pressure there was no we had embryos we knew that we needed a surrogate it may have been her it may not have been um and we just we just went with it um and it was it, it's kind of like going into dating without the expectation that you're going to get married it was going in and, and enjoying it and, and having fun in that relationship without there being any pressure at the end of it. It just happened and that's where it, that's where it ended up. I like what you said there because I do think a lot of people enter the Facebook group with the expectation that they're going to have a baby out of whatever yes. happens in that group. Yes. How do you stay, I guess, in the moment and build a relationship with no expectation when the whole reason that everyone's in the group and potentially talking to each other is because of surrogacy? I... I wonder whether there's a little bit around kind of looking introspective at your own relationship and going, well, why is this worked? And recognising that it's a, it's another relationship first and foremost. And I think that as soon as you start putting your own expectations on others, um, that's when challenges happen. And I think 
whilst when I think of when our relationship started, there was a little bit more of that than there was as we moved on. And actually there's this compromise, there's the listening, there's the seeking to understand other people's perspectives and being broad-minded around, there's lots of different ways that you can think about stuff. It means you approach all of your relationships in life in that way. Um, and then therefore the outcome is, is more positive. But I think it's, for me, like I said at the beginning, the primary objective when, when Jenna reached out to us and when Crystal reached out to us is let's get to know who these people are. If it clicks, it clicks. First and foremost, even if it doesn't click, we still made another connection and a new friend on a journey that we're now part of a surrogacy family forever. And I mean that way beyond just what we're doing with Zach, Gemma, Crystal and Lola and Ruby, her kids as well. You know, it's, it's, it goes way beyond that. It's a much bigger family. Mm. I, think, I think to stay in the moment as well, you've got to, we, we kind of went into this expecting it to not really work. So when you start out, the chances of success are really quite low. You've got to find the right people. You've got to have the right biology. You've got to have the money and you've got to do this and get through all of this stuff. The relationship's got to survive over a long period of time. And the chances are, if any of those things falls apart, it's not going to happen. So we kind of went in thinking, well, it probably won't. If you go in thinking it probably will, you've suddenly put a whole load of pressure on yourself. So uh, even though we'd said, like, we do really want kids... I think we've, also, we've always been happy enough in ourselves to know if it didn't happen, so be it. You know, it's kind of, um, it's not meant to be. And there is a, you know, we are, we are a bit like that. We, we've, we've, we've been extraordinarily lucky in our lives that thing, accidental things have happened, random things have happened that have always led us to a good place. So if it's not meant to be, then so be it. And we'll still have our, our lives together. We're not losing anything. So I think we kind of went into it, and I'm sure this, this is perhaps a bit different to a lot of people that go into this journey. We went into this without uh, the pressure of time, without the, the, the emotional background, I guess, the baggage, the, the disappointment and heartbreak, because we'd never tried it before. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. So we had nothing to compare ourselves against. We had nothing to lose. There was no failure for us. The, at, at worst, we'd meet a whole bunch of people and we'd learn a whole load of stuff. That's it. That's the worst thing that could possibly come out of all of this. Um, and we, there wasn't really, the expectation and the pressure didn't come at all. Even, 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 when, the preg even when we got pregnant, um, even then we were like, well, you know, it still may not happen. It still may not happen. It was actually fairly advanced in the pregnancy where we were like, okay, this is probably going to happen. <laughs> so I think a lot of people are actually like that. And maybe it, like I've experienced that myself being pregnant and, and it doesn't feel like real until there's potentially a baby in a few weeks. But I think for surrogacy, it perhaps has that extra layer because you're not pregnant yourself and you're not sleeping in a bed next to someone yes. who's pregnant. So you're not seeing the 24 seven yes. deal of what pregnancy yes. is. So do you think it's a regular thing for surrogacy for intended parents to have to get their head around there's actually a baby coming how do you prepare your life for a baby when you're not actually right there next to a pregnant person? I don't know whether you really I gen, I think we're one winter state I don't know if even ever really think we were preparing ourselves we didn't do anything with the nursery at all until Zach arrived mm. we didn't know we were having a boy as an example so and we did that on, on purpose we didn't want to know um, but I think that we 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 wanted it to be Crystal's experience. It's her birth, her body. We wanted the pregnancy to be her experience and that we were there to support her on that journey. 
she'd had her first child um, by cesarean, so this was she wanted to have uh, now Zach naturally, um, and so with what she wanted, we wanted to support her with, because obviously we can't financially compensate. So the gift that we can give back to us at least give you the you know the freedom to do what you want in this experience, and so we left a lot of that decision making to her. Now that didn't mean that we abdicated our responsibilities to support her. There were many a flight up to Brisbane, um, and many a flight bringing her and and her kids to to Melbourne. But it's an investment. It's not a. Um, it was never a trauma or a big deal. It was really just part of, you know, we do what we need to do to support you, and that also meant, you know, spending time with her family, getting to know her parents, her sisters, um, because that was what was important to her and that was incredibly important to us so tell me a bit about crystal we know that she's in queensland yes. and i know that she's got two kids yes. and she's also single is that right correct yeah yes. so what's it like having a surrogate in another state who's a single mum herself and potentially feeling pretty unwell and, and needing some support how do you provide support in those circumstances when you're in melbourne well i think we were we were all uh, as a as a collective we were all very fortunate that crystal has an extraordinarily close relationship with her family and um, she said to us right at the outset, if my parents aren't supportive of me doing this, then I won't do this. And so she went to huge effort before any of this started to uh, to sort of get them understanding of it all and, and getting, getting them on side, I guess, and, and making sure that they were comfortable with it. She uh, took her kids to counselling, like, uh, counselling, so they could understand right from the outset that she was going to have a baby for someone else and not give them a sibling. Um, and she put, she invested massively in that. So that actually made everything very much easier for all of us, for herself, because she's surrounded by, she's got, she's got two sisters, a whole bunch of uh, nieces, very close friends, her grandparents, her parents, all within uh, sort of a 10 striking minute, distance. yeah, striking distance of, of her house. So they, they have a very, very close relationship. So even though she's single, the whole single element didn't come in at all because it, it's almost like one of those old-fashioned families where four generations live together. It's, it's that kind of setup where everyone's there to support um, everyone all the time and she's forever doing stuff for her sisters and they're forever doing stuff for her, um, which made everything amazingly easy for us uh, to the point where we have to interject sometimes and say, well, can we do something because you've got this so sorted now it also helps that her job is a, is a, an ea she is the most organized person we've ever met in our lives to the point where she was asking us all these things about what we wanted uh when she was like nine weeks pregnant and what kind of birth did we want i don't know i don't even know she was using words that we didn't understand <laughs> or, and, and feel the need to understand until we were like you know third trimester um so we were like whatever you know, whatever you feel the need to do to be organised, you go and you do that. And, and that goes back to Paul's point about her having, having you know, she comes into this because she wants certain experiences and that was all about giving her that. And she knows what she's talking about. We go, so, you know, do, do whatever you sort of need to do. And, we, and she would ask us lots of questions. And early on, we'd be like, yeah, okay. And then we'd go and research it <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> as to whether or not what it was we what have we just committed to what the hell is that I don't know what that is um, so it's it's not it's 
it's not without its challenges, obviously. And there was a point, she had quite bad morning sickness uh, fairly early on. And there was a point where she got the flu, the I flu. think. And, and she was about 11 or 12 weeks, something like that. And she was really quite poorly. And it was times like that where we felt a bit useless because we were at work. Um, she was up there on bed rest. She hadn't gone to work. Her mum was looking after her kids. And it, we just felt like this is all our fault. She feels like that because of us. Her mum's doing all this stuff because of us. Her kids have been put out because of us. And we're just sitting there going about our daily lives like nothing's happened. Um, well, being the proud person that she is, is we offered and said, if you need childcare, obviously we'll pay for that. But there was none of it. Like her mum wouldn't allow that. Like her mum and her mum would do it. And so we feel like we did the dutiful thing to offer knowing full well that it was never going to be received because they're that kind of they're that kind of family but I think that I, I without painting it as fully a, a picture of roses I mean early on um, very even before Crystal maybe just about the time Crystal had agreed to do it um, her sister had a traumatic birth um, and then her parents started to get itchy feet about it because of realizing that birthing isn't actually a very easy thing to do it's actually quite a dangerous experience and so they started having second thoughts about supporting Crystal on that journey. And at that point, I remember distinctly saying to her, look, if your parents and you feel that because of this, it needs to stop, it stops. Don't ever think that because you've got this far, that you then can't undo the decision that you've made. Mm-hmm. Because life happens, things happen. Kara's had a tough experience. Yeah, um, and you know you need to do what's right for you and your family. We don't want to be breaking up your family just because of a promise that you made us you know that might if that needs to unravel then it unravels even if it's a cancellation completely that's fine if it's a postponement that's fine as well and we were actually at the at a park uh, with Crystal and Lola and her grand had phoned her up and was giving a merry hell on the phone about why you can't do this this you shouldn't be doing this um, and cycling probably I don't know 15 months forward same grand came to us and said, I just want to say I'm really sorry for the way I reacted on that day because mm. now I see what's the reality of how this can work. I feel really bad for doing it. And we just said, don't, you don't need to feel bad. It's a natural reaction. Mm. You are a protective maternal instinct. We would probably react in the same way and we don't feel negative about it at all. Well, I think also that things like traumatic birth, uh, it, well, we might talk about it in the abstract, but it can be really hard to think about the reality of what that might mean. And that in surrogacy, we're actually taking the same physical risks with a surrogacy pregnancy as we are with our own pregnancies. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be that extra layer of family and friends and intended parents and surrogates having to talk about what is the risk and what's the impact on her and her family. And for example, a United States surrogate passed away recently during childbirth. Yes. Yes. And we all felt that very heavily because it's not just a woman that's passed away in childbirth, which is tragic enough. It's that the intended parents and the child will feel that for the rest of their lives yes. and the surrogate's family will feel that. And I, I don't know that there's an answer, but I do think that that's worth everyone pausing and thinking about and reflecting on and then uh, perhaps then working through what, what are the risks and how do we manage our own feelings about it because actually if we're still agreeing to do it, knowing what the risks are we have to move past our, our fears to actually move through it and get to the other side, I guess. I think that's where the value in spending the time building the relationship and 
coveted word trust um, is undoubtedly the most important thing that we did building that foundation and I think one exercise that we did which is I don't know whether it's actually a document it's, it's online somewhere where whole list of questions no it's yours it might be yours it might be the setting expectations one maybe it's like several sheets of A4 mm. and we print it it's Carla and Simon and um, Andy's document ah, originally oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So we undertook that exercise blindly. We did it a blind test. So Crystal did it and we did it. And then we reconvened a week later. Oh, that's risky. <laughs> it was the need yeah. to do. We thought yeah. it was the right thing to do because we wanted, it helped us to understand the alignment around what do we expect in certain circumstances. And I think probably about 95% of all of the questions we were aligned. Um, it was a really good conversation piece yes. to have but you know we were talking about all different kinds of scenarios and what would happen in, in this case what would happen in that case and you know if you need insurance obviously we'll support with all of that and whatever it it needs to be but those horrible things we thought well let's get all of those tough things out of the way um and keep revisiting them down the line you know you might have some medical advice which suggests this and then we need to think about it but if we've done that piece of work now um then it becomes a whole lot of easier further on yeah. and it certainly was a lot easier than when we were engaging with Crystal's parents and also Martin's parents and estranged from my family um, when they were asking similar tough questions so well actually yeah, we, we, we have discussed this and this is what we collectively agreed as a team um, I like that because I do think presenting as a united force is really important for those people who are maybe asking questions about why you're doing this or you really have you really thought about it you can go well actually as a team we've thought about it and we've come up with some agreements and ideas on what we yeah. expect yeah. yeah and the the there were there were a few things that it's not that we didn't agree but it's like we just didn't have an opinion on so and a lot of them was about the birth itself and we said very early on look if you want these things in birth go for it we'll support whatever it is that makes your birth out the birth as as um i guess meaningful as it can possibly be and, and it's a very big part of why she was doing what she was doing and, and therefore we wanted to make it as special as possible for her so whatever that involved whatever she needed we would we would support that um well, i think we have a change of mind actually around about going yeah, she was going to go yeah. cesarean mm-hmm. that was the original because she'd had a cesarean first time round, and she thought she needed to do that. But then she sought medical advice, and they said, well, no, you can do a VBAC if you wish. Um, and then she was quite nervous about asking us about it. And we said, that's fine. Great. It's, it's your birth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, it did, did go through my mind that, yeah, there are heightened risks, and it means that we can't plan the dates, that, but ultimately that's secondary to the experience that you want to have that makes you feel fulfilled, that this whole thing about altruism that you're doing for someone else is the fulfilling experience for you it's not for us to say no you can't mm-hmm. it's not it's not our body yeah um so yeah. all the way through this we know that we have been receiving a gift and therefore we are not in any position to make lots and lots of demands on on the on the whim of anything like it, it, it we at the end of the day we will we will have a child anything else is superfluous anything else is just um background additional fluff i guess so if if she wanted fairy lights in the room she didn't but if she wanted fairy lights in the room and 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 whale music and you know smoke machines and whatever 
have a do it, whatever it, it like is. you're planning a birth. That's amazing. Yeah, whatever it is that we... Oh, you well, wouldn't believe the, the conversation front, So on the music front, and the one thing I will I always have a joke with her about is that she had this set playlist which she wanted to play. So then we're playing the songs and she's in labour. No, I don't want that song. Next one. Don't want that one either. Next one. All right, okay. Which yeah. one do you want? That one. Yeah. We might as well just put the radio on. But the playlist, on. what was the playlist called? D-Day. She D-Day. called it D-Day. but I think we're we're in an unusual situation perhaps that we had a surrogate that was probably more gung-ho about all of this than we were we have largely not passengers as such but we're very much allowed ourselves to be led first of all by Gemma because she was a pro and then by Crystal because she's super organised she knew what she wanted and we were like yeah we're cool with that and then we we kind of uh, sort of uh, we, you know, she was organised and we were quite happy for her to organise things and we, we sort of went along so every time we said you can stop you can stop she would be like no <laughs> this is what I want and she'd be almost upset that we even gave her the option to, mm-hmm. at any point um, and we you know we, we, you can only offer to help so much before you say oh, she's going to hit us and we're going to stop we're going <laughs> to stop offering because it's probably yeah. quite annoying so all we could you know all we could do was to kind of pick up when she wasn't right and and this is the whole going back to that thing about building that relationship and taking the time is you also pick up cues so just as you do with people in your own family and your own kids you pick up cues we got picking up cues. We got good at picking up cues in her. We knew when things weren't quite right. We knew when either we hadn't done something right, or when she, some, someone in her family had maybe said something, or there was something troubling her in her life, that we were able to say, talk to us because she's a very proud person. She wouldn't necessarily tell us all the time if we'd done something or said something or whatever that wasn't quite right. Um, we got very good at saying she's not happy and that helps I think honestly the distance thing is, is quite helpful in that regard because it, it allowed us to be on our own and go and often we'd sit there in bed going I don't think she's I don't think she's happy she's not as chatty as she normally is she's not sending us gifts and memes and stuff it's all just like okay and there's something not quite right there and then we bring it up with her and then it turns out there was something I think so, one lesson we definitely learned there is the don't go through your thought process and text message. Mm. So one example was, when do we go to Brisbane and how long do we stay there? And relatively early on, we said, okay, we're good. We're due around about, what was it? What date? The Boxing, Boxing Day? Day. Yeah, I, was, I can't forget that. We were due around about Boxing Day, which is actually Crystal's birthday, which was bizarre. Um, so we know we're going to come up at least two weeks before. So we went up on the 8th of December. We knew that. Anyway, we said, we'll come back around about Australia Day. So about four weeks afterwards, if she has a C-section, hopefully that would be enough time to help support, but we're flexible if we need to be. We then went through some scenarios and said, well, what we think we're going to do is book accommodation week on week, just in case you feel you don't need us. Bad idea. (laughs) Because what she said was, okay, well, if you want to spend less time with me, just say it. Don't, Don't write it like this. And then we were like, no, it's, that isn't actually what it's about. This is about giving flexibility. But we didn't think about what she might think about the intent, what we were trying to do. What we were trying to do was create flexibility for everyone. But actually she took it as we want to get away as quickly as we can. And, and save ourselves some money. Save some money. And, and remembering that at this point, surrogates are also thinking, 
after you get the baby, you might disappear and I never see you again because yeah. actually all you wanted was the baby. Yeah. So she's looking for um, confirmation that you're either going to abandon her or the opposite, which is to say, no, of course, we're fully invested in the yeah. relationship. Yeah. So when you say, we're just going to book it week, week on, week off, what she hears is you're just going to take the baby and leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we still did book it week, week on week, yeah. um, but actually we, we always said, look, the date that we're going to stay to is this date, and we kept confirming that date back with her so that she was confident that we were going to stay around for that time um, and that she knew that we were there for the purpose of supporting her and her family afterwards. And I think that was the bit for me. It wasn't about... It wasn't even so much always about her. It was also about, okay, Jeff and Cheryl, mum and dad, how do we support them? Because they also wanted to have time with Zach, um, as did her two daughters as well. Um, so we don't know what Christmas recovery is going to be like. Take the kids to the park or whatever it might be, do some shopping, yeah. whatever it is. Um, and whilst we got to, say, three weeks afterwards and we were like, oh, we could do with being at home now, we recognised that she was super important for us to be to the time that we committed because of what it meant to her yeah. and the family. And that was that extra week out of our life. There's nothing when we've got Zach forever when actually the reward that she gets from it is she knows that we're committed to her and, and that relationship. And that's really important to us, knowing when on our way home we knew that we had the best possible time of it. You know, we had the best, I hate the word journey, journey and angels are overused in surrogacy world I think <laughs> but I can't think of a better word um, it, it was a, a process that couldn't have gone better because we'd made that commitment and we honoured that commitment to her and we'd been around for her and, and you know she, she needed it it was, it was uh, that I, the, I think the one thing that we never really planned because we couldn't is, is those weeks afterwards so we'd had so many conversations about the birth and all of the, the, the processes of what we were going to do and we, we committed to going to all the scans and all the appointments with her and we were going to be there all the way through and we were going to do this and that and we were going to stay in hospital with her and she was going to breastfeed for a couple of days and all that. So we'd had all of those things planned out. We hadn't ever really talked about what happens when we all go home. Mm. What happens? And it, because it was all very unknown and, and in a way it, it, we, we kind of didn't want to talk too much about it because it was the end and then it would all be over and, and it was you know it was kind of sad to think about it like that um, but just hanging out with her was just brilliant wasn't it it was so good and, and the emotions that she was going through and the hormones and things that she was dealing with us being there was was an absolute godsend and i'll also give a shout out at this point to queensland health who i cannot cannot recommend them enough i think they were outstanding the the support we got from redland hospital in brisbane and the support staff there and the, the midwives and the nurses were just exceptional and the aftercare that they provided was unbelievable they, they came to us and they came to crystal every week for weeks on end um and they were just brilliant and and that really helped and something crystal's commented to us since is that she didn't know she didn't realize how much she would need them until now she had no idea that she would need them as much as, as she did um so we've been helped all the way through this by a fantastic family on her part and fantastic medical professionals uh, up in up in brisbane uh 
And I think just giving her again, because she's again partly because she's an EA and partly because she's a surrogate and needs a certainty, is giving very clear parameters, I guess, clear kind of direction. We're going to be here from this point to this point. And there were a few times, even during like the pregnancies and stuff like that, where we'd be like, oh, we're going to be up for the weekend. And we'd actually like go up on a Friday and come back on a Saturday. And then she'd be like, oh, I thought we were going to be here for the weekend. I thought we were going to go out. And we're like, well, we sort of said the weekend and we sort of meant Friday, Saturday. We didn't sort of mean Sunday as well because we had to get back for whatever reason. And we learned quickly. We learned quickly. (laughs) And because she, you know, I guess it's really important to spend all that time with us. And we underestimated the importance of just it's just another day, it's an extra day and we needed to get back because we had a busy week at work or whatever it was. Um, and we learned very, very quickly that that wasn't fair and that wasn't right to be ambiguous. But we need to say, you know, we'd end up just saying, these are flight details. Mm. This is this is when we're going to be in town and we can make plans accordingly. I like that too because I know that my advice has been to people that if you're doing surrogacy, you need to treat it like you might if you're in a um, partnership. And that it's not so much about what you say you're going to do, it's about following through with what you say you're going to do. Mm. So if you say you're going to pick up milk on the way home, make sure you pick up the milk on yes. the way home. Yes. Because if you turn up without the milk, the message is, I don't care or I'm yes. not trustworthy. You're not important enough to yes. me for me to remember to do that. Yeah, that's mm. right. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a special kind of milk. It just has to be do what you say that you yes. said you were going to do. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so even though we, we we all kind of fell into this by accident, we also knew that it was a relationship that we had to get right, and we spent a lot of time getting it right. Um, we were able to sort of, you know, I think I think uh, sort of laughter has been a really important part of our relationship as well because it's quite it does get very serious, but there's an awful lot of the process that is ridiculous to be honest, and you have to laugh about it. The whole going through uh, counselling and the psychology reports and all of those things. There's this assessment you have to do for the psychology assessment and ask you whether pole vault is your favourite sport. Um, there's just, there's so many like ridiculous, ridiculous things and it's just absurd that you have to laugh about it and, and we're very lucky and it wouldn't, I don't think it would have worked if she didn't share our sense of humour that we were able to just laugh at all of these things, laugh at the... Um, the idiosyncrasies of Melbourne IVF um, and their rotating door of staff that they have there um, and, and all the random things you have to go through sitting in PRP, which in itself is a bit of a weird thing to do. Um, you know, permission from the state to have a baby is a bit, it's a bit odd. Um, and all these other things that you, you sort of go through, um, I think if we couldn't laugh about it, it probably wouldn't have worked. And we were able to take the mic out of her and she was able to take the mic out of us. Um, and I think that's extremely important as well. If, you know... You've got to be self-deprecating. You've, right? you've got absolutely to, yeah. got to be because it's so... It's such a weird thing to do. I mean, you, you kind of... You get absorbed in it and you forget how weird it is. It's pretty weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. And so... And you try and explain it to other people completely outside of it. And, they're, and they kind of look at you a bit confused. And they're like, yeah, great. Yeah. And they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> what the... Um, and, uh, and, and the day I told my parents, it was absolutely hilarious. Because they, like... It was just a comedy of errors. Um... 
And so you've got to you've got to be able to laugh at it. You've got to be able to sort of take the mick out of each other and about the process and some of the random people you come across. Um, otherwise, you can't deal with the serious stuff when it happens. And you know, it did get obviously very serious towards towards the end, and it all became quite quite intense. Um, and I think that you you know you've got to you've got to recognise that and not just plough on regardless. We're super lucky that Crystal was the first person that approached us, and she's as amazing as she is, and, and we get on as well as we do. Um, I think had we gone through four you know four or five different people, and we'd been talking to four or five different people, and we didn't get on with them and stuff, there might have been a temptation to go, we'll make this work, even if there was an instinct in us that was like, oh. I don't know if this person's right for me. I have wondered about that because I think we often see them, not often, but when they do happen on the Facebook group and you wonder whether uh, the intended parents will have the strength to say, actually, we don't have a good feeling about this. It must be so hard, particularly if you've if you've wanted a kid for so long and you've been, you know, 10 years of, of, of trial and, and, and heartache, which so many people go through, it must be very hard when someone's offered and you've got it within your grasp to say, you know, cause you could just say, do you know what? It's only two years. We'll grit our teeth. We'll put up with this and then we'll have a baby at the end of it and it's worth it. Um, I have immense sympathy for that situation. We, we can't, speak to that because we have no idea what that's like but having been through what we've been through in the in the in the last two years I can't imagine doing it with anyone else and I can't imagine doing it with someone that you don't you don't get on with yeah. how could you because you you lay yourself there in almost every way particularly the surrogate I mean she literally lays herself there before us so you have to be super comfortable with each other you have to get on and if that takes a year more than you want, then it's worth it. Because it's not just having the baby at the end of it, it's all that comes after, which I don't think we or anyone gives enough thought to. No. What happens afterwards? It's a lifetime. It's a, it's a it lifetime. Is. So, well, that's absolutely. right. I was going to say, it's, it's not just the two years of the process and the pregnancy and the birth, it's 25 years of your life. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Right. And, and we... And we, you know, he will know as soon as he's old enough to understand, he will know where he came from and the people that helped him make him. And we don't want to look through those photos and, and, and think, oh, that was, that was awkward. That was difficult. She was a bit of a weirdo. This was weird. <laughs> this didn't work. Our relationship didn't get on. We, we fought. We don't want that. Or that you have to hide part of that story from your son because Absolutely. you don't really want to talk about who yeah. the son was. Yeah, we want. We, you know, we are super proud of everyone that's been involved in all of this, and they and he will know, and everyone will know straight out where he came from and what it was all about, um, and that connection will be there forever, and and that's really really important to us. It's important to her, uh, and I can't imagine it any other way we're very very lucky because we're not experts we have absolutely no idea what we we're doing but um i guess we, we, we were fortunate but also i don't know old enough i guess to to kind of keep quite you know having that relationship between ourselves paul and i to say is this right are we good with this how do i how do we respond to this how do you feel you know and we would say how do you feel about this is this working for you um i i just I think it's been a dream and we don't realise how good it is necessarily until you hear of other things that, that have gone wrong and you're like, wow, 
Mm. Wow, we're lucky. So, Zach, baby Zach, is yes. now almost two months, is that right? Eight weeks Saturday. Eight weeks, yeah. not counting. No. <laughs> and Crystal is actually visiting this week and she's babysitting while we do this podcast. Correct. Yeah. Tell me, what have the last, what, well, the eight weeks, how have they been? But also since you got home, how has that been with being away from Crystal? Um, I think it's been, it's been a great experience for us to make home, to make a home home. Um, to build Zach's room with him because as I mentioned we didn't do anything with the nursery or anything um, and we made a decision that he would be in his room from day one he hasn't been with, with us he's a very loud sleeper mm. um, and that's been it's been great there is a, a a sense of and this happened as soon as we came out of the hospital as well is we can just be parents and make the mistakes that we'll make in the safety of your own home without a fear of other people judging you now Crystal, has, there's never been a scenario at all where I felt like Crystal's looked over me and go, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but when you're in the hospital, there very much is. Because in the revolving door of midwives that come in and out, every midwife has their opinion over what's right and wrong. So at home, if Zach wants to scream the house down because, I don't know, we were 33 seconds too late with his milk, then so be it. He can do that, and that's fine, and then we'll, we'll deal with it as and when. So that's been wonderful to introduce him at home invite guests to a house that they can meet him as well and, and be that family um, but it's not been kind of a close one door and open another you know the conversations with Crystal are daily um, they continue to be and they always were and they continue to be um, and we were very conscious that before we left that we would have a date in the diary that was booked so that she knew when she was going to see him and us again and that was really, really important that before we left Brisbane, we had that in the diary, which is what this weekend is, is, is for. We actually booked before he was even yeah, born, yeah. wasn't it? So it was that back in November that we booked this trip mm. so that we always knew, and again, this being organised and certainty, which is super important, she knew when she was coming back. So she knew, we knew four weeks from when we last saw her to today, when she just landed today, and that certainty was always there. And it meant, I mean, the, good, the goodbye was, was tough. Um, but it wasn't like the end. It was like, well, next time you see us, he'll be bigger and chunkier, and he really is. Um, and hopefully we will be more comfortable parents and, we'll, you know, you'll get to see us. And she, she said very, very often, like, one of the main drivers for me is to see you at home, in your home environment, being parents. That's why I'm doing this. So um, that's, that's what this weekend's all about, is spending time with us and spending time with Zach um, and seeing us be parents at home. And, um, and well, it's been slightly different. The timing's been slightly Mark took parental leave, so he was off. I was under 12 months employed, so I wasn't entitled to it. I took two weeks. But in that time, literally on the drive back down um, from Brisbane, I was found out that I was made redundant. So in essence... Good timing. I know, brilliant. Yeah. But from, a, from a, an actual timing point of view, in terms of being able to be at home as a family unit, it's been great mm -hmm. because it meant that we could do it together. Didn't have this fear of going back to work on the 29th of January. Okay, what's the plan? How are you going to cope on your own during the day? You can just, just come, when I come home at six o'clock, just hand the baby to me because you've had a tough day. What, what's it going to be like? So we've been able to just navigate each day together. Um, and now we just work towards 
the 31st or 30th of March, whatever it is, when Mark does return to work, and maybe I do as well, um, the, that's our day of, of, of working towards. So, you know, we've been to daycare places, we're going to do some test days there as well to see how that, that goes. But um, it's given us more time. And so in some ways the redundancy has been a bit of a gift. Um, emotionally not always been easy, but it's definitely been from a fam- familial experience a positive one yeah, um, yeah and I, I really don't think that like the dynamic with Crystal hasn't changed at all I think that you know she's been very honest and open about her hormonal position and her emotional state the, the roller coaster that is the fourth trimester yeah, yeah. But I'm even, interested in what you said though about having something booked in yeah. to see each other again and yeah. I haven't really thought about this but after I gave birth my intended parents are local or about half an hour away but I, if I saw them today, I needed to know when am I going to see you next. Yes. And if it's to say we're going to see each other next Wednesday, it didn't even need to be a set plan about what we were going to do. I just needed to know how many days until yeah. I see you. Yeah. And it sounds a bit strange because I'm not a child. I don't need to count down how many sleeps till I see somebody. Yeah. But as a surrogate, I just needed some certainty about when am I going to see you next. And then when we would see each other, we would book in the next one. And that's yeah. all I needed. So um, I don't know if that's a surrogate specific thing or actually maybe this is, just this is an us thing as in like whenever we go on holiday whilst we're on holiday we book the next one yes yeah. so I think there is an element of if you'd like if there's something you really like how do you set that again so you've got something mm. else to look forward to yep. and I think because knowing the certainty that Crystal likes anyway I think it's a consequence not just of her being a surrogate but also because of the work she does the type of person she is we sensed that it was important to have that in so we had the discussion around when do you want to do it and it happened obviously because there's the the surrogacy um, thing on Sunday that it all tied in yeah, and it all, yeah. it all worked out really well but yeah. even she said today you know I haven't just come down to see Zach you know that don't you I've come to see you as well <laughs> I'm like yeah no we know that but she likes to just set you know yeah. set the time. and that is interesting because I yeah. think that's true I, I catch up with my antenna parents to see them and the baby happens to be there, which is lovely, yeah. but I don't go around there just to see the baby because if I wanted another baby, I would have done You'd that. have one yourself. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So going forward, what's next for the team? Well, um, interesting. So we even before he was born, uh, she was asking us whether we wanted a sibling or whether we wanted to go again, and we were like, well, we, we, we always thought we'd have a couple of kids, but let's just wait you know go through the birth first um, see how everyone feels at the end of it and uh, you know there's no rush we'll take our time and and that's still where we're at so um we will have uh, ongoing relationship with Krista we'll see her fairly regularly we'll keep booking stuff in um and I think we can colour this in a little bit better as in I think when she was being... So she had a bit of a... Uh, with a forceps burst, a little bit traumatic. She had to go to surgery for a little bit. Nothing major, but on wheeling her out to the room. So I really want to do this again. And we're like, yeah, this is the hormones. That yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I think it was two days or so before we left Brisbane. She came home and she was visibly distressed. And she said, I really need to talk to you about something. She goes, I want to know how you feel it went. And I know we thought it went really well. She goes, if, if we were to again, would you consider me doing it? And we're like how could you even ask yeah. the question it's almost like you're questioning whether or not we felt it was a great experience um, and I think hopefully you know us well enough to know that, that we do and so whilst we haven't set time in the diary the team is the team and if and when we did go then it would be as a team um, 
and so I think there's a it's a family not family situation you know it's you know, she, we refer to her as say Auntie Crystal but you know her kids know they're not um, siblings um, but it's a it's a it's a bond unlike any other mm. um, and as and when the time is right if it's right it works and you know we've got two frozen embryos left and if they work they work and if they don't they don't yeah and, so, and I think we so far we have our, our strategy of not putting any pressure or expectations on ourselves has worked perfectly and I don't feel that we need to change that strategy. So we will go ahead. We've got, as Paul said, we've got two embryos left. Let's see what happens. Let's go for it. Let's have conversations. Let's follow, follow the thread where it leads us. If it leads us to another sibling, a child, then fantastic. If it doesn't, then it's not meant to be. We've still got Zach. We've got Crystal in our lives. We've got all of her family behind us. We've won. Mm. We've won the game. And it doesn't matter what happens now, we've got that extraordinary relationship with the most incredible woman and our beautiful son. And that's enough. And if anything else happens, fantastic. If it doesn't, fantastic. We've still got Zach. Um, no pressure, no expectations. Let's just see what it is. Um, and, I, and I don't, we also don't really want to wish our lives away. We're not going to sit there and somehow not be satisfied with what we've got because what we've got is is incredible and he has changed us in every every way and he's stunning and gorgeous and um and we are truly truly blessed we're so lucky and we're we're never we'll never not think that and even if we don't have another child we're still lucky we're still super lucky because yeah and and to think this all started with a Google search and a newspaper article two years and two months ago is, is just... Amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And you get so, you get so stuck in the, in the everyday and, and a huge amount of surrogacy is hanging around. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of chasing up of stuff. Um, and there's a, a lot of hurrying up and waiting. Even labour is mostly just hanging around waiting. Certainly for us. I mean, we weren't doing any of the work. But there was a lot of hanging around, a lot of like playing Scrabble and just killing time. Um, and so you, you just, you're just sort of hanging around all this time. Um, and I think you've just got to kind of enjoy those, you know, enjoy those things while they, while they manifest themselves. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm ready to stop recording, but did you have anything that you wanted to add before I do that? I guess just a couple, uh, there are a couple of things which we kind of haven't touched upon, which I think were fundamental to some of the success we have, that we had, and, and it's down to the relationship that you have, obviously, with the person who's in front of you, and I think one of the things that we decided to do early on was to give, this going to sound really weird, but Crystal, a credit card that was in from our account, so it had her name on it, though, and it wasn't just my card that she was using, um, it was a supplementary card on the account, which gave her the freedom to feel like she didn't have to submit receipts every month like it was some kind of expense claim at work. Mm. Um, it's something she talks about now to others. Um, and I think it was something that gave her a sense of ownership around what she was doing and freedom. And I think that was that was incredibly important. I think also for surrogates that, well, nobody likes talking about money, but surrogates don't like asking for money. So if yeah. it was the case where she had spent her own money to buy, to buy something that was surrogacy related, 
and then had to come to you and say, could you transfer me 50 bucks because I bought something. Mm. Even just the act of having to ask for it can feel a bit awkward. Yes. And yeah. often surrogates will actually not ask or they'll find awkward ways to ask for it. Um, and then I think you're right, it's much easier if she can just pay for it without even having to think about the money and without having to ask permission to spend it. And, and this became uh, an issue when we didn't know it was an issue. So this was, a, this was one actual good example of where she was quite troubled by it and we had no idea because we'd said to her, do whatever you need to do, spend whatever you need to spend, we trust you. We don't need to know. You don't need to tell us every time you go into the chemist and buy something, just do whatever you need to do, we trust you. She didn't actually like that because again, there's that lack of certainty. So we actually had to say to her, you're fine to spend up to X amount a month, anything more than that, just tell us. Mm. And she wanted us to do that because she needed to know what was acceptable to us. Because us saying, do whatever you need to do, in her mind is like, well, if, I, if is $100 too much? They've not told me what is and isn't acceptable. So in the end, we said, we'll spend so much a month and if it go, and, and anything under that, don't tell us. Anything more than that, just let us know that you're doing it. We actually didn't give a monkeys about it, but we told her it because it made her feel better that she could spend $300 a month and we weren't going to be bothered by it. But anything over, whatever, 500, I think it was, anything over 500 a month in a particular month, just tell us um, if, if that's what it is you need. Again, it's that setting that expectations and those certainties mm-hmm. that, we, that we knew quite early on that that's what she needed. Yeah, and the only other thing I would say is, is that I remember hearing it actually on a completely different podcast. It was something related to work and someone talking about inclusion in the workplace. And they were talking about how people have this golden rule about treat others in the way you wish to be treated. And actually this person put it in a different way and said, treat others in the way they wish to be treated. And I think that with Crystal, what we learned um, is that the things that we think are important aren't important to her. Um, And so the most valuable experiences are when we rock up and say we're going to take the kids out for two hours and we go to the beach and we send her photographs and then later on she said that's the best thing you could have done mm. didn't mean two hoops to us really because we were just going out and spending some time at the beach with, with two kids who were good fun but for her it was worth everything mm. Mm. and it's you don't know you're doing it right until they tell you that's um, right but and I think it's probably something linked to the five love languages that her love language might be that acts of service for example go and spend time with the kids or quality time and yours might be different so you haven't necessarily picked up on how important that is for her yes and there wouldn't have been a lot of value in us spending lots of money buying her flowers all the time because that's just something else to clutter up (laughs) her house you know it's like more things for the kids to break more stuff to get in the way Uh, but actually removing some of the things that cause her a bit of grief during the day um, so that she can go, you know, go, get her hair done. There was a time when you surprised her in Brisbane and paid for her to get a haircut and, and took the kids for a few hours and that kind of stuff, which mm. is giving her that time uh, is, you know, is, is super important. So it's just getting to know, getting to know them. Um, and also, but also remembering that just because she's a surrogate, she's still a human being. You, you hear a lot about, um, people being unicorns and angels and all that kind of stuff, and and most surrogates actually really don't like it. Well, and we and we, and we don't, and we yeah. don't because 
she's just a, they're all people they're all real people and to put them on some sort of pedestal and believe that they're made of of, of, of glass isn't really going to help anyone so you know I guess the advice to anyone out there is is just if a surrogate says they want all this all these expectations and you're not happy with it don't feel that you have to go along with it if it's going to cause you grief down the line we were extraordinarily lucky is that she was very easy going and everything aligned but um, you can disagree with a surrogate you can say no you can say this isn't working for me and it's hard when someone offers you something so precious it's extraordinarily hard to do it but that relationship is everything I think also surrogates really uh, would prefer that you speak up if there's something you disagree with because I yeah. know I was wor- more worried that there were things that my intended parents might be agreeing with because they were too afraid to say yes. they weren't agreeing yes. and I would have preferred that they speak up and tell me that they were angry with me for example yes. then yes. then we all smile and nod and just pretend because there is a unicorn I hated that Yes, and the resentment that then builds up yes. where you think you're being unreasonable but we mm. can't say anything because you're a surrogate and you're somehow untouchable is is ridiculous and, and it's we, not helpful it's yeah. not helpful to anyone and you're building up uh he says she says and we'd start you know we'd end up moaning about her and start you know that's just ridiculous so um any problems you've got you've got to talk it out it sounds really obvious but it's actually quite hard when someone's offering something so precious to actually say i don't agree with you mm. i don't think that's a good idea or I think you're, you know, you're, you're being neurotic over this or you're not being careful enough about that or whatever. Um, and the same thing back, you know, like if, if we were being uh, either too standoffish or too intrusive, we said to her, you know, you need to tell us. I think one of my favourite things was, she said, did you have any expectations of what I eat during pregnancy? I was like, well, you've had a baby before, so I'm sure you, you know, yeah. have to, to nourish yourself on that. I don't need to... Because, oh, yeah, no, it's fine, but I really like some people like to make sure I'm taking this supplement or that or whatever. I said, well, you know, you've obviously had loads of healthy kids, so yeah, we'll trust you. You're going to make the right decision. If you need them, have them. If you don't, don't. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, and look, can I just say a really good morning sickness remedy is, you know, McDonald's Coke. So there's yeah. no way anyone's going yeah. to not, yeah, yeah, not yeah, feed yeah. myself McDonald's when I feel sick. Yeah. 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 Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. I'm going to...